For God will bring every deed into judgment. Every deed. Every deed. Look over your life. Look over your life. Shut your eyes for a moment. Just look over your life. Just see all the things you've done. All the things that you've done. How many things have we done is wrong. How many wrong things have we done? Some of us will be forgiven much. Some of us will be forgiven little. Some people don't sin as much as other people. Amen? Some people like, you know, you imagine a, uh, someone who belonged to a biker gang and he was into murder and all that, you know, and he turns to Jesus Christ. He's going to love Jesus like you wouldn't believe. That's what Jesus says. Who's going to love more? The one who's forgiven much, the bigger debt or the smaller debt? The one with the bigger debt. You know, you forget. You forget what sins, what you've done. Who, who knows what I'm talking about? If, especially if you've lived a life where you've done a, quite a few sinful things, you forget the level of sin that you once partook in. And when we come to Jesus and we say, oh Lord, forgive me for all my sin, and the Lord goes, oh, I forgive you. We go, thank you, Lord. But are we really understanding the magnitude of what he's forgiven? If we could see our sins piled up, like Pilgrim, uh, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, he had this big thing on his back, you know, this massive thing that he carried around. It was a weight. He knew he had it. It's massive, isn't it? It's massive. The level of sin, and some of us have massive piles of sin. Others have smaller piles. Is it important for us to recognize that? If we do, we love more. If we do, we can be a step closer to, to for the, the Holy Spirit start to work in your life the way you would hope it'd work in you. As soon as you can give up that stuff and ask for forgiveness for all of them. Ecclesiastes. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we ask you to be here right now. Holy Spirit, you are the one that uh, works in our heart. You're the one that can do spiritual surgery. You're the one that can change us and uh, recreate us and make us into the people we're meant to be, Lord. You're the one that goes out into the world and does does the work of the Lord and Lord we just ask you to come here this morning and do something in this place that we can't do touch hearts, touch lives and uh, transform us because Lord we just want to get closer to you, we want to see your face, we want to uh, pray and become people of God, holy people godly people uh, a people that you will be uh, happy to call your own and so, Lord, I ask that you do something this morning that I can't do, that none of us here can do, but you can do by that power of your great Holy Spirit. And so we welcome you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Ecclesiastes 12. We read this last week. This is just... Well, you can't see that up there. We did a, a sermon last week called Christ the Great Judge, and I wanted to... Go through it. You'll be thankful to know this is the second and last part. We're not going to be doing a third part to this. Uh, it's a mini-series. Um, 
Ecclesiastes 12, 13 to 14. And the word of God says, Now all has been heard. <clears throat> Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep His commandments. Why does, why does He tell us to fear God? You know, when you fear God, you live godly lives. Without the fear of God, you will live ungodly lives. Simple as that. With the fear of God, you'll resist the sin nature. Without the fear of God, you won't resist the sin nature. So if we lose the fear of God, or if we become lax in our fear of God, and Christians do, amen, it happens. You become lax in it. You, you less think of the fear of God. And you even think, well, God's a God of love. He's just going to accept me the way I am because I'm under grace. But the fear of God will keep us from sin. That's an actual, I think it's a psalm. Will keep us from moving down that path. And he says, fear God and keep his commandments. So you fear God to enable you to keep his commandments. To enable you to do what is right. For this is the whole duty. Did you catch that? This is your whole duty. People wonder why I, I go on about resisting the sin nature. Why? Because it's the whole duty. This is our entire duty as Christians. And you know what? The world will be the first to tell you, you Christians should clean up your act. Don't they? How many times have you heard people say, the church, rotten lot. You know, rip me off. And, you know, they've got this really, really negative attitude of the church because of things that have happened over the years. Should that be? The, the world is holding us to a higher standard than we are holding ourselves. The world expects a higher standard than we expect. The world expects, if you're going to say you're Christian, that you're going to be a holy man and a holy woman, a righteous person that does right all the time, that lives in love and offers their other cheek. Amen? Sinless. Sin-free. Sin-free. It says we're free from sin. We're free from sin. That's what the world expects. And guess what? God has a higher standard again. If you can live up to the world's expectation of you, you'd be a better Christian. If you can live up to God's expectation, you'll be one of the most awesome Christians to ever have graced the earth. Amen. And this is the whole duty. The whole duty. This is your duty. This is what you are to live for as a Christian. This is how you are to walk. This is how you are to think. This is the way you're supposed to be. You're supposed to fear God and keep His commandments. And what commandments is He talking about? He's not talking about sacrificing bulls and goats and doing all that stuff and, you know, being careful with skin diseases and going to the priest and all this. It's not, it's not that. It's the moral law. The moral law hasn't changed. Still the courts, the worldly courts will tell you you should not murder, don't they? They'll tell you not to murder and they say do not steal. They're the moral commandments. We're still under the moral commandments, aren't we? And we should be the first ones to fulfill them all. All. And what's the greatest commandment? Love, Love the Lord your God 
with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, everything within you. And what's the second is like it, says Jesus. Love your neighbour as yourself. Everything else hangs on those two. If you love your neighbour as yourself, guess what? You won't steal from your neighbour. Why would you? You don't want anyone to steal from you. So if you love them as yourself, you won't steal from them. You won't do wrong by them. You know what I'm saying? And when, when you do wrong to someone, do you want forgiveness? Do you, have you ever done wrong to someone and then that person sort of never, after that has never wanted to know you again? Has that ever happened? That you, you've wronged someone? You know, when you wrong someone and then you realise you're wrong, you just wish it could be right. Don't you? Well then, do the same for someone who wrongs you and, and forgive them with all your heart. You know what I mean? I'm speaking to myself. I'm speaking to all of us, but I'm speaking to myself first. We should forgive others just as the Lord has forgiven us. Amen. And it says, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. And then he says this, just to really make it tough. For God will bring every deed into judgment. Whew. Every deed. Every deed. Look over your life. Look over your life. Shut your eyes for a moment. And just look over your life. Just see all the things you've done. All the things that you've done. How many things have we done is wrong. How many wrong things have we done? Some of us will be forgiven much. Some of us will be forgiven little. Some people... Don't sin as much as other people. Amen? Some people like, you know, you imagine a, uh, someone who belonged to a bikey gang and he was into murder and all that, you know, and he turns to Jesus Christ. He's going to love Jesus like you wouldn't believe. That's what Jesus says. Who's going to love more? The one who's forgiven much, the bigger debt, or the smaller debt? The one with the bigger debt. I feel I'm going to get, I'm going to love more. I've got to love more. I've got a bigger debt to be forgiven. And ask, ask the Lord, show me the level of my debt. Show me how big it is. So I can appreciate your love even more. Because I've sinned at a higher level than anyone else. I've sinned greater. And as Paul said, I was the greatest of sinners. The greatest of sinners. And if we can't confess that, we're lying to ourselves. You know? says there's no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. No one, he even says, no one who seeks God. Wow, all have fallen away. They have together become corrupt. Oh, we better seek God, amen? We better become a church that seeks God. We better become a church that lives for God with everything within us, amen? Because he says he's going to bring every deed into judgment, including Every hidden thing. Every hidden thing. That means the thing that you did and you thought no one else saw, so you got away with it. No, you didn't. He sees that too. Whether it is good or evil. You know, I believe in these coming days, God is going to bring up a lot of stuff. There's going to be a dredging going on. You know when they go in and dredge, an old river or something or an old uh, lake or something like that. There was one I saw an email somewhere in France or somewhere and they dredged it and it had been, hadn't been dredged in like 200 years. 
And you should have seen what come out of there. They were pulling entire motorbikes out of there and, you know, push bikes and motorbikes were the main things that they found in there, but there was so much stuff. You know, you forget. You forget what's in, what you've done. Who, who knows what I'm talking about? If, especially if you've lived a life where you've done a, quite a few sinful things, you forget the level of sin that you once partook in. And when we come to Jesus and we say, oh, Lord, forgive me for all my sin, and the Lord goes, oh, I forgive you. And we go, thank you, Lord. But are we really understanding the magnitude of what he's forgiven? If we could see our sins piled up, like Pilgrim, uh, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, he had this big thing on his back, you know, this massive thing that he carried around. It was a weight. He knew he had it. It's massive, isn't it? It's massive. The level of sin, and some of us have massive piles of sin. Others have smaller piles. Is it important for us to recognize that? If we do, we love more. If we do, we can be a step closer to, to for the, the Holy Spirit start to work in your life the way you would hope it'd work in you. Soon as you can give up that stuff and ask for forgiveness for all of it, be mindful of it. Some some ministers of the past they actually said to write down every single sin. To go through your life with a fine-tooth comb, to go through your history and remember things and write them down and do your best to understand what God's forgiven. Because you know what? God's going to go through your life more exacting than that. Shouldn't we go through it earlier on? Shouldn't we at least do an accounting? You imagine this. The tax man is coming to do an audit on your books. Bill? They're coming to audit your shop books. And you have to get ready. Wouldn't you go through your books? You'd be going through everything. You'd be like, the tax man's coming tomorrow, you know. You'd be calling on Matthew. Come and help, help, help us out to uh, get it all sorted. Because he's, they're going to go through with a fine-tooth comb. They're going to find stuff and go, hang on, what's that receipt there? How come you claim that one? And you'll go, oh, um... I thought a meal was a meeting, I don't know, but it's a, like an $80 meal. Oh, right. Um, okay, so I can't claim that. You know, you have to act ignorant. It happens. A lot of people, you know, they go through a fine tooth comb and, and Jesus Christ is much finer. Much finer than that. Every conduct, every specific thing, and it says here, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So what we've got to do, we've got to make sure we do more good. Amen? From the moment we become Christian, righteous living, righteous living, resist the sin nature, walk the straight path, stay on the path, stay enthusiastic for Jesus Christ, stay filled with the Spirit, stay in prayer, live in prayer. Amen? We've got to really encourage us each other and all the more as the day approaches the, the word of god says all the more as the day approaches encourage one another to hold to the course and this is the exact reason we have this church to encourage each other all the more as the day approaches as the coming of the lord approaches us and so if you if you keep on if you don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing 
then you, you can stay encouraged. You can stay built up. Because I tell you, I'll keep on facing sin. I won't get politi politically correct. I'll speak against all the things that um, the Lord reveals to me are not right. And even if it in, runs in contrast with the modern culture, I'm going to speak against speak against because if the Word of God says it, I'm going to say it. And why would I hold back? Because someone's scared? No, we've got to speak. We've got to speak the truth. Because he's going to hold us accountable, and especially me. If I accept the homosexual agenda, then I'm going to be held accountable. Amen? That's a big judgment. Now, if you don't like me speaking about homosexuality, that's your prerogative. And if you don't like it, then what can I do about it? But I have to speak what the Word of God tells me to speak against. And then I won't be held... And I would rather get crucified by, the, by this rotten lot out here we call the world. I'd rather be crucified by them than meet my God at Judgment Day. Amen. We've got to stand by the truth. And you know what? If this is not your truth, then what is? Then what is? Amen. There's no other. There is no other truth like the Word of God. There's no other truth. And you know, over and over in this book, you can tell it's from God. If you do an honest reading. An honest reading. Not a reading trying to prove it's not of God. But an honest reading where you're letting it affect your heart by the Holy Spirit. And praying for that Holy Spirit illumination. So that God reveals the Word. Amen? God reveals the Word. Better move on or else there will be a third part. 2 Timothy 4.8 2 Timothy 4.8 Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day and not only to me but also to all who have longed for his appearing. You know that's what awaits us? A crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Who wants that crown of righteousness? Who wants it placed on their head by the Lord? That the Lord will say, well done, my good faithful, come and sit here, and I'm going to place this crown on your head, for you are righteous. Who can say those words with Paul and believe them for themselves? If you can, that is wonderful. If you can't, you need to examine yourself. If you don't think your life is worthy of having a crown of righteousness placed on your head, if I knock it off again, <laughs> if you don't think that you're worthy of having a crown of righteousness, then you need to go into deep prayer. If you don't think that your head would adorn a crown in heaven when you get there, if you had to go there today, if God would not put a crown on your head, if you feel that way, if you've checked yourself by the Spirit, and you feel, no, I don't, I don't feel that I've taken up my cross. I don't feel that I've lived the life that I should have lived. Then know this, the Lord wants, wants you to receive it. And it's not an impossible task. It's not an impossible task. This is a task that you can achieve. 
Because Paul achieved it, and many people have achieved it. But do you know how to achieve it? Do you want the secret? Who wants to know how to get a crown of righteousness placed on their head? Yeah? I'm, I hope you do. There's no, no greater thing you should desire in life. If someone says, hey, I'll give you this Ferrari and I'll give you a crown of righteousness, you shouldn't be standing there going, mm. <laughs> No, it's the crown of righteousness. That's it. It's the crown of righteousness. That should be your main goal in life. If someone says, what's your main goal in life? You've got the answer now. I want to receive a crown of righteousness on my head when I get to heaven. I want him to place it on there and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I want to live for that and I want to make sure that nothing jeopardizes that. You don't want to lose it. You don't want to get to heaven and Jesus say, you know what? There was a period of your life, if you just continued on that course, that crown would have been on your head today. But you didn't continue the course. You're still in heaven. And the Bible talks about getting into heaven with your backside on fire, doesn't it? And you get into heaven and you just get there and you feel like you've really let him down. And you're in tears because you're weeping for your loss. Because he tells you if you'd stuck on a course. Now what would that course have been? What was that, that, that road that you were on at the time? And you know what it is? You want to know? Not many want to know. I'm not going to say it until you all say, yeah, I want to know. Good. <laughs> Time spent with Jesus. Who knew that? Time spent with Jesus. I'm only learning the secret of that now. After 27 years of being a Christian, how important it is to spend lots of time with Jesus. Lots of time. Seeking His face. It's the ultimate in prayer. you got prayer and you pray your prayers and you pray and the things that you need, you want done in the church and in, in your own life and in the lives of others around you. You're playing, you're interceding, you're doing all that. But then you seek His face. And you want to seek His face. And you're believing His face is going to appear before you. And you burn for that. And you will stay in prayer for three, four, five hours to achieve it. And then if it, if it doesn't happen in the first five hour session, you go back and you pray the next day another five hours. Then you go back the next day and do another five hours. This is how the men of gold, men of gold, they were men of gold, men of God of old. This is how they live their Christian life. They prayed and prayed and prayed. I'm reading in a, in a book, uh, Power Through Prayer, or I think it's called, by Ian Bounds. And he lists off all these incredible men of God. Jonathan Edwards and who else? Elizabeth, who else was listed in this list? I'm trying to remember now. Um, Robert Murray McChain um, and a whole whole range. My mind's going completely blank. Brainard. Brain oh, David Brainard. They always mention Brainard. He was the greatest of prayers. And they talk about their regular life, their regular routine in their life. And one of the things is they all, every last one of them, every last one of them would wake early and pray. And they would be up 4 o'clock in the morning or 5 o'clock in the morning. There was only one that woke up at 6. All the others, 5 and 4 o'clock in the morning. One of them, or a few of them, were 3 o'clock in the morning. 
and they would pray anywhere from two to five hours. They would wake that early so that they could spend that time with their Lord, and then they would go off and do their day. Then they would come home, and guess what? They go to bed earlier so they can get up and do it again. Because to them, that was the most important thing in their life. And they called themselves Christian, and they lived it. They lived the real Christian life. They prayed, and they prayed, and they sought their God. You know, the moment you set your heart to live like that, everything changes. Everything changes. You can never, you can never resume normal Christianity again. And I, actually, it's not normal Christianity. Nor, that is normal Christianity. What I'm describing is normal Christianity. The Christianity outside of that is not true Christianity. I'm not saying everyone has to wake up at four in the morning. You've got to set it with God. Do you know what I'm saying? But I'll tell you what. It's amazing when you, when you start to do it. It's amazing when you start to live that life. And you start to seek God at that level. Because it, it changes your heart. It changes everything about you. And then you can be sure that holiness will be the result. And then you can be sure that you'll one day receive that crown of righteousness. Because all those men, I shouldn't judge whether they did or didn't, but I would believe that most of those men that I've read about, and many, 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 many others, would have received the crown of righteousness. Paul was so confident here, wasn't he? He knew when he went there, he knew what he had done. He knew that when he looked over and examined his own life, he saw nothing but God. He saw nothing but holy living. He saw nothing but resisting that sin nature. He saw nothing but prayer, prayer, continual prayer. He saw that whole life, his whole life was given up to it. And he was a changed man. And he knew it. And he knew when he got there that he was going to receive that crown. He knew Jesus was going to welcome him with open arms because he already speaks with him face to face. Like Moses. He's already in the face of God. Amen. You know, Enoch walked with God and then he was no more. Why? Because God took him away. He walked with God. It's like God said, well, look, you spend more time up here with me than you do down there, so you may as well just stay here. He walked with God. He walked with God. Are we to be any less than Enoch? We shouldn't be. If we are, we've let go. Our first love, that passion, that hunger for the things of God. Amen. We need that hunger back. If we don't have it, if, you, if, if people, if, if someone's in their hearts going, oh, this whole prayer thing, oh, Rob, oh, five in the morning, what? This is too much. Who has that feeling? Oh, do it at six in the morning. <laughs> but the thing is, God's calling us to a deeper spiritual life. Amen? If he wasn't, you wouldn't be in church today. The reason I'm saying this is because God is calling his people. And I can, be, I can tell you, the word of God backs me up everything I've said. Everything I've said is backed by the word of God. What did Jesus, what was he known to, to do quite often? He'd go away and he'd pray through the night. He'd spend the night just to pick his 12 disciples. He spent the entire night, I think it was on the Mount of Olives, prayed. He prayed. He'd often re remove himself to lonely places to be alone with his Father. 
Are we to be like Jesus? Hey, if God calls you to a whole night of prayer and you, you just take it up, if it's burning inside you, then you spend an entire night or an entire day in prayer or he tells you to go away and, and sit on this mountaintop for a while. Spend some time with me. Follow the leadings and promptings of the Spirit because as you do that, things start to change. It's when we go, oh, Lord, that sounds too much. That's fatiguing. Do you know what I mean? God's calling us to a deeper spiritual life. Who knows that? Now, I'll try to get the screen back again. 2 Timothy 4, Matthew 25, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Take your inheritance. What's that? The kingdom is your inheritance. That's the inheritance that you can lose and many people do lose. Who wants to lose the kingdom as an inheritance? No way. We thought we were just getting at mansions. But we're getting the kingdom. The keys to the kingdom. That means every door is open to you. You can go anywhere you want. Do you know, as, as I say this, I'm sure it can feel nearly fictional. Your mind can be going, oh yeah, right, yeah, kingdom, oh here he goes. But no, the Word of God says it. The Word of God says that He's prepared a kingdom for His people. And that kingdom is up there now. It's waiting for us to inhabit it. And within His house there are many mansions. And He goes there to prepare a place for us. So as you get the crown and then you enter the kingdom. That's what Jesus has for us. And He's going to say to those... On his right, come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And then go to verse 41. And it says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire. Eternal, did you catch those words? Eternal fire never ends. Prepared for the devil and his angels. And that's where those that don't receive it go. So you've got to make your choice. And the people of the world have to make their choice, don't they? And they're making it all the time. They're making their choices. But God wants us to choose wisely today. Amen? Yes. He's calling us to a deeper, deeper life in Him. Matthew 10, 32. Turn to Matthew 10, 32 to 33. And he said, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. That's a big one, isn't it? You know? Who's read the Fox's Book of Martyrs? Yeah? Who's read the book called Jesus Freaks? Anyone? Got to get that book. That's a more modern one. You've read it? Yeah. And... Uh, you read of accounts of where people have stood and they would not disown Jesus no matter what. They, they did not love their life so much that they weren't willing to give it up. You know, they lost their lives for Jesus Christ. They, in the worst situations you could imagine, like some of those situations and scenarios, I, don't, I, I would not want them on me. 
And these men and these women stood the test in the most trying circumstances and they did not disown Jesus Christ. And then there were some in these accounts that they did disown Jesus Christ. And there was one account, I think it's in the Fox Book of Martyrs, he was getting tortured. Um, I think it was by the Romans, they were, they were torturing him. And then he, he basically said, I've had enough, I've had enough, okay, I'll give up Jesus. And then he stood up after they set him free and he had a heart attack and died and dropped dead. And someone in the crowd said, you know, something like, you know, for a moment's rest, he's now received eternal punishment. Because they knew, they knew if you disown me before men, if you're not prepared in your heart to stand with Jesus Christ, no matter what, then you've loved, you, you love your life more than Jesus. Is this hard teaching? Is this taught much these days? This is why everyone's so quiet and not laughing in this church at the moment. Because it's the truth cuts. The truth cuts. The truth is tough. You know, Jesus said, if you love your life, you will lose it. But, it, but if you give it up for me, if you're prepared to give it up for him, you'll find it. And that has two applications. One is giving up your desires and you know, lusts and ambitions and all those sort of things to put Jesus first. The other application is in the real application of where your life is in jeopardy. And you have to stand for Jesus. And I've always taught it. And why have I always taught it? Because I don't know when persecution could break against the church. It could happen at a moment's notice. You imagine if you wake up tomorrow morning and they said, there's this massive one million man army has just dropped down onto, into Australia and they're marching across the breadth and depth of, the, of this country and they're killing everyone in their path. And here they come. First thing you do is you go and find Ben and Judah and hang out with them. But you know what I mean? That's coming. Here, here, here's this army coming. And suddenly, but these guys are Muslims, fanatic Muslims. They'll give you a chance. Turn to Allah or die. Is that happening? Yes. Is that happening in the world right now? Yes. Right? It's not happening here, so we think, oh, it's all so far away. It's all so far away. It's just about like a Hollywood movie. But if it happened, are we ready? Have we already settled this issue? And I keep saying it. You know why I keep saying it? It's because the Holy Spirit prompts me to say it, whether you think the Holy Spirit speaks through me or not. The Holy Spirit will keep prompting me, and one day... One day you might be in a situation where you'll say, thank God Rob spoke by the Spirit. Because now I have to make a decision and I know which one I'm going to make. You know what I mean? As much as you may not have liked it, it didn't make you laugh, the illustrations weren't funny. One day you might have to cling to the words that I'm speaking by the, from the Word of God. Amen. 1 Corinthians 9.25 We'll go back to 24 because it's just it's a, like a passage we should read. It says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. 
Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. See? To get a crown, an eternal crown, we go into strict training. How strict was army training, guys? Was it intense? Very. Yeah? Did it hurt? Very much. Any training, anyone who wants to get good at anything in this world, if you want to get good at any sport, if you want to get good at music, if you want to get good at anything, you have to go into strict training, depending on how good you want to get. And sometimes it's the toughest thing you can ever undergo, and a lot of people give up halfway. Because to stick to it, to do the hard yards, can be tough. To get good at a sport is hard. It's not easy. You know, I know at the moment, um, I see my daughter training in tennis. Sorry, Alicia, I'm going to be embarrassing you now. <laughs> but she, she goes out and spends quite a few hours practicing tennis. And there's, there's two ways to approach it. You can either just go out there and just run up and hit the ball like, you know, play tennis like that, which is how a lot of people play it. Or you can learn how to play it properly, and that's tough. It takes a lot of discipline to get good at it and a lot of hard work and a lot of pain and suffering because the ball doesn't always go in. To learn the correct techniques in tennis is, means that you'll probably end up losing more games than you win at first because the techniques are hard, hard to develop. You know what I'm talking about, don't you, Matthew? And when you first start learning top spin, the ball goes into the net all the time or it goes long because you're hitting it twice as hard as you used to hit it when you were a flat racket player. Right? The only reason I know these things is because I watch watch the coaching sessions and all that sort of stuff. How strict does the Lord expect us to be trained? You know, are we being trained by the Lord? Are we accepting training or are we just flat racket Christians? Do you know what I mean? Are we just going out and going, Ch -ch -ch, just hitting the ball over the net, doesn't matter how good, I don't want to be playing Wimbledon, so that's enough. In a sense, some Christians can treat their Christian life, lives like that as well. They can go through and they say, I don't care if I don't get a crown as long as I get into heaven. But you know what? That approach can be dangerous. I'll tell you why. Because when you're tested and you're not in it, you can fall away. Did we read a, of a woman the other week? Was it last week or the week before? The week before. Who gave up the faith? A woman who's been a Christian for 40 years and gave up the faith and we, we, we looked at the breakdown and what happened. Put your hand up if you were there for that. If you weren't, there's the video's up online already. And the first thing they stopped believing in was hell. Because hell's a hard doctrine. Hell's a tough doctrine. But you know what? If you don't believe in hell, you can't activate yourself as a Christian the correct way. Because you're not living in reality. The reality of being a Christian is the reality of knowing what happens on the other side. What happens at the judgment when Jesus casts them into an eternal torment. So you have to believe in hell. And after that, if, if, you, if you can assimilate that, you're changed. You can then start to understand the cross and the necessity that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And we can let that change us and we can be so thankful and then we then we can approach God with a repentant heart humble heart a contrite heart the, he will not despise a Christian that approaches him like that you know what I'm saying 
So we watched this breakdown of this woman who after 40 years gave up the faith. Because one thing led to another thing, led to another thing, led to another thing, and that's, forget it. I'm a happier person now. Satan doesn't exist. Nothing, none of that stuff is true. It's all garbage. And they can live free, conscience-free from worrying until when? They die. Until they're about to die or they are dead. If they have a bit of time, it's the most tormenting time of their life is the moments as their last breaths are getting breathed. The most tormenting time for an atheist or for even for Muslims, we hear. Muslims are tormented in their dying moments. I've heard, we knew a lady who worked in a um, retirement, a Freemasonry retirement village. And she said, when a Freemason dies, it's the most horrific thing she's ever seen. They scream and yell and their bodies writhe in agony and they buckle up even, they, they're like all skin and bone and their bodies start to buckle as they're dying. They're screaming with pain. And she said she witnessed it over and over and over and over and over again in Freemasons. Because they realise they've been serving Satan and suddenly Satan's coming to get them and they're screaming in pain because they don't want to get gotten by Satan. So she witnessed it. She witnessed it. She was a nurse. And she said, Rob and Vina, over and over again, as they died. Horrific. So what does that tell you? When then you hear these stories of Christians passing away, it's the most peaceful thing you've ever heard. And they just smile and they say, Welcome Jesus, who are these who are these uh, you know angels that are, you know, what are your names? And you know, you hear all these stories of beautiful, beautiful, serene experiences where they just welcome death with open arms. Because it's not really death, is it? It's just a sleep. You get this sleep and your body will be raised again. When? At the resurrection. You'll be re reunited with your body, but the real body, not this one. It's this one, but it's this one improved. This, this one's like a seed. I've used this analogy before. And a seed... Does a seed look like the plant it grows into? No? Seeds, you, you see this, you know, like a broccoli seed. It's a little round black seed. And you go, how's the big broccoli plant in that little thing? And then you put it in the ground and pop up. You get in this beautiful, big, fresh, green broccoli. Thinking that doesn't look like that. Well, that's the difference. This body to the imperishable body, this is like a seed. A little black seed. <laughs> this beautiful, glorious, imperishable body. We're going to receive. These aren't fanciful ideas, folks. These aren't made up stories. This is the Word of God. This is the hope of Christianity. It's worth throwing yourself into. It's worth living for with every drop of your being. You know what I'm saying? It's worth getting up and praying to Jesus about. It's worth to get yourself aligned with the truth. It's worth to accept every word that's spoken in the scriptures and assimilate them into your life and let them change you and transform you. Amen. Revelation 11.18 Alright, this is after the seventh trumpet, the seventh angel, we'll go back to verse, can't even see that, I think it's uh, 15. Verse 15, where the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven 
which said the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of Christ and he will reign forever and ever. So that's the return of Christ. It's right there. Jesus Christ returning right after the seventh trumpet. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and they worshipped God. And they said, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who was and who is, who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. So it's, it's come. The time has come for judging the dead. So the judgment is then. Straight after the seventh trumpet, the judgment. As the time has come to judge the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints, and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. So that's the judgment we're talking about here. And he's going to reward the saints, those small and great. He's going to do that exacting judgment we're talking about. He's going to go through your life with a fine-tooth comb. Let's go to Revelation 22, 12. We've got to keep one eye on eternity. Amen. As I was saying last week, and remember me and Stephen had a chat about it, is the older you get, the more you think about it. You know, we're not young and, you know, uh, invincible any longer. We're getting older and as the aches increase, you know, you start going, oh, I don't know how long I've got to go here. Don't worry, we've still got plenty of time, Nikki. 22.12. And it says, Behold, I am coming soon. Did you catch those words? He's coming soon. Do you know how soon the Lord comes? He, there is a time when the Lord Jesus comes. An actual time where, the, where he comes to planet Earth. But if you die in the Lord today, you're with Jesus. If you're a Christian. So he's come to you. So in a sense, the, the coming of the Lord is never more than, you know, a hundred years away for any one person. Except for my grandma, who's 102. <laughs> Don't always say the absolute truth. Never more than 120 years. <laughs> Except for the guys that lived 800 years back in the Old Testament. 2212. And it says, Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to everyone according to what he has done. He's going to give to everyone according to what he has done. Can we live with that in our minds? Yeah. Should we live with that in our minds? Should this reality prompt us to live a holy Christian life? Should it prompt us to pray? Should it prompt us to get up early in the morning? Should it prompt us to read the scriptures? Should it prompt us to make Christianity the first thing that we focus our hearts on every morning and the last thing we focus our hearts on at night and the thing that we regularly try to find moments through the day to engage in? Amen? Should, should be. We have the most beautiful, beautiful hope. We have the most beautiful Lord that has prepared so much for us and He's done everything He can, everything within His power to see that we receive eternal life. But it comes through a number of things. It comes through deep prayer and it comes through really reading this. Really getting it into your heart. Taking the words word by word and letting the words impact you. 
like trying to see the gravity and the weight, saying, Holy Spirit, let the gravity and weight of this scripture impact my life. You know what I mean? Because some of the scriptures, you can really, you can read them. I could read those judgment scriptures and I could just gloss over them really quickly, you know, just like we're doing a public reading of scripture and we have to get through them fairly quick, so we just sort of pace through. And then you miss it all, don't you? You miss it. But, you know, he's going to judge us. Every word, every careless word. Man, that's hard. So, we have to devote. And is a, should a Christian do, be anything but devoted? If you think about it just for a moment, what's something in your life that you've been really devoted to? Something maybe in the past you were really devoted to something, you got quite good at it, you were so devoted. And, you're, and, and I want you to think about how at that time when you were devoted to it, you lived and breathed it, you thought about it all the time. If you had to work, you, while you're at work, you're thinking about doing it when you get off, off work. Who's had things like that in their life where they just wanted to do it? Yeah, sur he's a surfer. Yeah. Surfers are the most passionate, I tell you. I don't know what it is with surfing. I used to hang out with surfers, and all they talked about was the surf, and I didn't surf, so it used to sort of drive me crazy after a while. But they just wanted to go surfing all the time. Oh, the waves, how the waves, oh, the waves are going good. Down Middleton, oh, we've got to go. We've got to go, shall we go? And I'm going, well, see you guys. <laughs> I'm not going. But they're always, that's all they live to breathe. Do you know the feeling? You went and did that for a few years, didn't you? That's my God. Yeah, it was your God, idols. But should your God, your real God, deserve less than the devotion that you gave to these things, or should he deserve more? Can I encourage you? There's a few uh, movies, Christian movies, I've just sort of sprung on. Uh, sprung on, that's not the right word. I've just come across on, on YouTube. It's on a, a YouTube channel called Mere Christian. And there's a, a, a YouTube movie on Mere Christian. It's, the first one's called, uh, is on Charles Spurgeon. There's not the first one, but there's one on Charles Spurgeon. There's one on uh, Muller, George Muller. And there's a number of others. I haven't had time to watch them. But I've watched the one on Charles Spurgeon and the one on George Muller. I tell you what, they were excellent. They really changed my attitude towards Christianity. When I saw how these guys lived, and, and it only showed it in part because it's only an hour long, but if you're, you'd probably be inspired to read some biographies on someone like Charles Spurgeon and George Muller. And when you watch just the, the way they uh, speak about these men and the kind of commitment to Christ, you get so inspired. You get so inspired. You go, you know what? Why can't I live like that? Because they obviously could. Why can't I be like that? Do you know what I mean? M U Muller, M U double L E R. Yeah, but they got the funny little things on the L's. Or on the U. Muller. Mia. Mia. Oh, Mia. M E R E. Mia Christian. Mia Christian. Well, I'm going to show you. We're going to watch it. Probably this afternoon we'll watch one. The one on Spurgeon was excellent. Have you seen those? Well, you've got to get on YouTube. All right. Um, I better finish on that. And uh, who's been blessed? Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. God bless you. And uh, Lord, I just pray that your spirit can really get into all our hearts and that we can go home this week and really act on uh, the things that were discussed here today. And uh, I ask that your spirit will just... Keep on motivating us, keep on encouraging us, keep on moving us and prompting us 
as, as your Holy Spirit is so good at doing, and prompt us and, and cause us to respond. Cause our hearts to change. Cause our hearts to warm to the things that you're calling us to do. And help us to be sensitive to the Spirit. And Lord, I pray that every single person here, as they get home and when they, f they hear that, that, that wonderful, quiet voice, asking, asking them to maybe pray or to read the Scriptures or, or do something along those lines. I pray that, that every single person here will respond. That will be sensitive to your Spirit. That will be sensitive to the movings and promptings of your Spirit. And I pray that our, uh, as we start to do this, as we start to live the Christian life the way we're meant to live it, uh, according to your Word, and that we start to reflect your life, Jesus Christ, as we start to try to emulate the kind of life you lived, because you were a role model for us, and, the, and Paul is a role model, that he beat his body and made it a slave, so that after he preached to others, he wouldn't be disqualified. That he lived that sacrificial life. That we wouldn't just think, oh, that's just for him and, and we just have to live this you know, typical uh, 20th century or 21st century uh, Christian life. But Lord, help us to understand that there's no such thing. That there's, there's the way you call us to live and that's the only way. It's according to the will of God that we would not be disobedient, but that we would do the will of God. And I pray that every single one of us will all call to different things. We're all called to live our Christian life in different ways. And that's the beautiful thing about the Christian life. But I pray that each and every one of us will have a conviction of, uh, of stretching themselves and reaching out more and more and more so that we can fulfill more of what you've called us into, Lord Jesus. So that when we get to that day, that there will be that crown of righteousness waiting to be placed on our heads. And we'll be able to rejoice with all the saints and with all the prophets of old and the patriarchs. And we are to rejoice that we conquered this life by the power of the Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ. So help us, Lord, to live out our life with full conviction. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Lord, I just pray that you bless everyone here. May they have a wonderful week. May, they, uh, may you just all the things that they may be struggling with, that you'll sort things out so well for them, Lord, that you'll open up ways where there is no way, and, uh, Lord, you'll solve problems and, and heal people of sicknesses, Lord Jesus. May your power come upon everyone in this church that's sick right now, and I pray that they will receive healing in, the, in Jesus' most mighty name. Amen. Amen. And uh, I pray that uh, anyone who's, having, who's struggling in different things, I don't know all the things that people are struggling, but I just pray that in the name of Jesus and by His mighty power that you'll solve their problems in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So be with us now and bless our fellowship time. May we have a wonderful fellowship time as your spirit moves among us all. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you.